0: All right, everybody, I am excited to be with you today. Of course, I am missing my beautiful, handsome sidekick, Jeroboam, but uh, I will be able to hold it down today, Lord willing, without his beautiful help and all of the wonderful things that he does. So what I would like to do right now is uh, just share this and ask you guys to do the same thing. Join me live. So basically, today's show is just going to be me because Jared Walker is out on assignment as a professor at SUM Bible College. He has to do uh, annual training during the summer months, and he is there today in California somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but he is somewhere in the wonderful state of California doing his training. So I'm so glad that uh, he's doing that. He's an awesome scholar and a gentleman. And Today I'll be handling the show by myself, Lord willing, and of course that's a lot for me to do because there's things behind the scenes that uh, I normally do that nobody else gets to see. So if you hear me or see me doing different things, hopefully you'll uh, understand what I'm doing here. I'm trying to put it all together so we'll have a smooth running show. Now this is What Do You Believe? It is a relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. So this is a podcast ministry based out of Metro Praise International Church, the church that my wife and I started about 12 years ago. And God has been gracious to us throughout the years. And part of my heart has always been to engage the culture on whatever uh, technology or engage in social media and whatever technology is available at that time. So from the very beginning days of podcasts and webcasts, I've been doing them and I'm going to clear my throat. And uh, I've been, thank you, I've been doing these podcasts on and off for that same amount of time, and you can see different videos of me doing it. And what's funny is you can watch me go up and down and wait as well during those times of me doing the podcast, skinny, big, skinny, big, but this is really my time being the skinniest, best shape of my life. And so as a Pentecostal, I've always enjoyed studying the word, going deep into theology. I have my master's degree in Christian education, and I have uh, attempted to get my doctorate, did about a third of the work, and then now I feel the Lord told me to pause for a season. I don't know if I'll be going back, but the last word that I had was that I needed not to go back. So we'll see what the Lord says, but uh, I've always engaged in apologetics, engaged in theology, and really where it came from for me is when I first got saved as an 18-year-old teenager was doing street evangelism. So the moment I'm doing street evangelism, I have to start doing apologetics. And so at that time, I had to start learning to defend the faith, go back into the Word, and that Uh, really spurred me on to learn what I know today. And today's show is going to be based on apologetics. So once again, we are a relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. And if you know what we've been doing, breaking our show down into ten, Uh, into six 10-minute segments, we've been going through the different parts about what makes our show unique. So the name, What Do You Believe?, comes from the idea of asking people what they believe as uh, Jesus did with his disciples there. And then uh, we went through being Pentecostal and what that meant. And then we began to to go through these different attributes. Evangelism, last week was discipleship, and today is apologetics. So I'd like for you to uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy a show dedicated primarily to apologetics. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. I didn't know what it was at one point either. And, uh, you know, anytime you come into a place to study and grow in your faith, it's okay if you don't know everything, because if you knew everything, it would get boring, right? I listened to one of the smartest people I know, Dr. J.P. Moreland, one of the best Christian philosophers uh, that's out there right now. And what he said was, if you don't Uh, If you're sitting in a classroom with 100% of the information already, chances are you're going to be bored. So it's good to be in a setting where it's at least 20% things you don't know so you can be challenged. And that's what we need to do when we come into the Christian church is be be willing to grow and to grow in our understanding and knowledge. And so there was a time I had to use the table of contents to find books of the Bible. There was a time when I had to literally have a dictionary right next to me so I could understand the words as I'm reading the Bible. And still to this day, I may have to do something like that. Uh, If I'm looking for Nahum, and I just can't pull it off the top of my head, or there comes to be a word that I don't understand. I was reading um, in Psalm the other day, and there was a name for a badger there in uh, Psalm 104, and I just did not know what that thing was, and I wish they just would have put badger, but here in Psalm 104, it says hair racks, and so I had to look it up in the dictionary, the Craigs are a refuge for the hair racks, and uh, see, now I have a built-in dictionary here, and it's a rock badger, the hair racks is a rock badger, so isn't that pretty neat? Well, let's go into what apologetics is, Okay. Apologetics means to give a defense of the Christian faith, and that's one of the main things that we're called to do as Christians. First Peter 3.15 says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, if you go there to the Greek word, give an answer, it is apologia. That's where we get the word apologetics. So we are not doing apologies. We're not going around saying, I'm sorry, guys, I believe in a heaven and a hell. I'm sorry that, uh, you know, sinners don't get to go to heaven. You know, I'm sorry the Bible says uh, same-sex marriage is sin. I'm sorry. No, no, no. What apologetics means is we're giving a defense, an answer to why we believe what we believe. We're giving the reasons to why we believe in the moral code of the Bible, why we believe in the Trinity, why we believe in the Bible itself is the revelation of God. And so you could probably understand why it's important that a podcast addresses those things, because the moment I'm going to talk about uh, evangelism and discipleship, I now need to start explaining things to people. Right. And then our last thing we're going to talk about next week, uh, Lord willing, is theology. But uh, you can't win a soul or make a disciple without first answering some of the questions that they have. And then out of those answers, we develop what we call theology, theo coming up from theos, God, and ology, the study of. And as a Pentecostal, I am very concerned about what's going on in our world today because Christians don't seem to be giving answers. I mean, isn't that what you see? Most of the Christians, 80%, they say, of the Christians in America today don't even have a Christian worldview. That's not my opinion. That comes from George Barna, a Christian statistician, along with the other studies that Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis did, along with other other studies that were noted in the book, The Great Evangelical Recession. And so even if just you looked at it anecdotally, which they mean just anecdotally means just you go through it in your own life and see uh, how it works, wouldn't it make about sense to you that maybe four out of the hundred Christians you meet in your life really believe the Bible uh, really live by the moral code of the Bible. And and these are not complicated things when I say that they they, they ask them if they have a Christian worldview. And if you don't know what a worldview is, it's how we see the world. So as I put on these glasses and it makes the, the blurry world that I see come into clarity, we are to put on the Bible, the lens of God and his word and have the world come into clarity. And George Barn and these others, they just ask people real simple questions. Uh, do you believe the Bible is the only holy book? You would be surprised how many supposed Christians don't believe the Bible is the only holy book. And by the way, I will be taking the last 10 minutes of this show to answer questions. So if you have any questions, which today should be a day we get questions because it's about apologetics It's about defending the faith. You should be provoked in some way to get a question. And if it's not you, send it to one of your sassy friends on Facebook so they will join us and uh, come on and ask me some of their tough questions that maybe they've tried to ask you and you didn't have an answer for. And so... Um, when we look at the world today, do we see most Christians are believing the Bible is the only holy book? No. We see them saying, well, maybe for the Muslims, the Quran is a good book. Maybe for Mormons, you know, the, 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 Mor- the Book of Mormon's is good. And, and, you know, for people with Eastern philosophies, uh, maybe some of these things of Buddha are true. Now, it may be an oversimplification, but my friend, you have to believe the Bible. The Bible makes it real simple on purpose. This is what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In John one one, when it describes Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, that means Jesus, before he took on flesh, was born of a virgin. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word Was God so word there, logos, is where we get logic from. So, can anything be logically true and against Jesus, who said he is the truth? Of course, not, he is the logos. And when we do apologetics, that's what we're doing. But sadly, we have to do apologetics in the church. We have to explain to the other 96% of Christians in the world today that they need to believe what the Bible says. And so, uh, we give the defense to the church and say, stop letting down your guard, believing that every person that has a religious book is somehow on the same page or on the same level of the Bible. It's not. Second uh, Timothy, as we'll get into later, chapter 3, verse 16, says that the scriptures are God-breathed. That Greek word, God-breathed, means theanustas, theonoustos, breathe theostas from God, the breath of God. It is inspired. It is unique. There is nothing like it. Now, somebody may say, well, apologetics, it, I almost wish they would apologize because they are so rude, these Christians. They're telling everybody they're right and everybody else is wrong. Well, is it rude to tell the young person, maybe as I'm teaching my you know five-year-old Lucas math, is it rude to tell him when he puts uh, 2 plus 2 equals 5? Is that rude for me to tell him to say, Lucas... I apologize that there's really only one answer, and I'm so sorry. And I just got to tell you, it's really four, but I feel so bad about it. No, I'm going to teach him the truth. Now, that doesn't mean I need to insert things that would be uh, insulting. No, I don't need to say to him, You're so stupid. You don't get it. What's wrong with you? No, I need to do it as Peter says. Let's go back to that scripture here. I need to do it as Peter says with gentleness and respect. Look at that scripture again before we move out of this section about us and why we do apologetics. We do the defense of the faith because Paul, or rather Peter, commanded it in 1 Peter three fifteen. but in your hearts revere Christ Jesus as Lord. Do that first. I will be saved. I will live for God. I'm not going to go out here and be a hypocrite. It's first and foremost for me. Next, always be prepared to give an answer, apologia, that's where we get apologetics from, and those who do apologetics are apologists, and we're all called to do this, right? So everybody, when Peter's writing to the church here, he wants everybody to keep this command, okay? This is a command for you to give an answer, to do apologetics, to be an apologist, to give that reason for the hope that you have. Why do you hope on Judgment Day to be rewarded for the moral code that you live by or the worldview that you had and the commands that you kept? We're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. And the Bible says that Christians' works will be judged. Paul talked about this in Corinthians and the works that are of the flesh and that are not obedient to God, though they may get in by the skin of their teeth. The Bible says their works will be burned up. They'll have nothing to show for it. But whatever is a precious metal like gold will be purified and will last forever. These are those treasures in heaven. So you show that you have a hope within you by living according to the teachings of Christ and believing that you'll be rewarded. Well done, my good and faithful servant on judgment day. Now, when you're correcting others and you're giving them an answer for the hope you have, what does it say? But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, oftentimes I've sinned in this way. I have to be honest. I haven't been always gentle, haven't always been respectful, but I have repented for those times. The Holy Spirit has been gracious to convict me of those times when I have grieved him and I wanted to Force my way upon people. Now, sometimes people say, well, uh, you know, arguing and those things, that's not of God. Yes, it is. And I'm going to get into that now as we get into our second section. If I haven't told you the sections today, uh, it's also online as I promoted this uh, post today. We're doing about us, talking about our apologetics and what we'll be doing in the podcast. Now you know that's what we'll be doing. We'll be addressing false beliefs to the church and to the world. We'll be giving an answer to why we believe how we believe. Next, up, we're going to get into here the MPI news. And since today's really an apologetic show, I'm going to talk about some of the debates that I've actually done. And I'll show you that debating is a scriptural command as well. Maybe you won't do it in the same way I do it, but you are going to have to get in confrontation occasionally, not being rude. Remember what gentleness and respect. But yes, confrontation nonetheless when you confront beliefs and give the answer for the hope that's within you. Then we'll go into the news and we'll talk about cowardice in the pulpit today and how many, many Christians don't want to do this, especially from the pulpit. So from the pulpit to the pew, from the pastors to the sheep, people are really backing down from standing up for truth. And it's not just in the hot topic issues. It's not just in abortion and homosexuality. It's in everything. I would rather hear a pastor say something I disagree with about politically than for them them to never say anything Anything about politics. When the Bible speaks continually to politics, you should have an opinion about where our country is going. You should have a word from the word. As a matter of fact, when our nation was first founded and the pastors were in the pulpits, it was very similar to hearing the news of that day. The pulpit would give you the news, the highlights going on, and then filter it through the word of God. And of course, letting people make their own decision. I don't think churches should use their tax exemption to support politicians. I think that can be considered like money laundering, but I'm against the Johnson Act, and I'm glad that uh, President Trump rejected it and took it off the books, so that pastors can do what we've always done, and we did it in the American Revolution, and we did it in the Civil War, and we did it during the Civil Rights. The pastors have always led the way, and we need to get back to doing that. And then, uh, since Jared's not here, with Jared's gems. I'm going to give you some of Joe's gems, which are four ways to do spirit, uh, five ways rather to do spirit-led apologetics. And then we will end uh, with your questions. Although no, I'll give you a word from the word contending for the faith. Can't read my notes here. See if you can read them any better. <laughs> and then we'll do your Q&A. So ask them now below if you have any questions. Well, let me share with you what our church has done and, in the way of apologetics. Let me uh, open up this for you so you can see it. And if you just go to our page and uh, search debates, you will see it there as well our church has always been involved in apologetics because I've always been involved in apologetics. And, uh, I've actually done, uh, you know, moderated debates. And so that means we've had people, uh, I've challenged them and I've had them come here to the church. We record the debate and you can check it out and I'll show you this page right here you can go back and uh, listen to these yourself. And so when we look at, uh the scriptural mandate for debates we are going to debate so some people are like well i just don't want to debate no we need to debate it just depends on how you're going to do it you need to do it respectfully and you need to do it with love and sincerity truly wanting to be the people to be saved but you need to be honest and tell people, you know, that you disagree with them. And so where's the scriptural mandate for it? Well, here we go. In Acts 17, 17 and onward, uh, Paul uh, debated with the, uh, the Greek philosophers there at Mars Hill. This is one of the most famous places in the scriptures where we actually went to where they were at and debated with them. And here you can see it in verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked them, What is this babbler trying to say? Okay. And, uh, and so he gets it on with them. He starts to tell them what he believes. And you go down here to verse 22 Paul then stood up in the meeting. They called him basically a babbler. And he stands up there and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're religious. And in other words, I see you doing a lot of things religious, but you're wrong. You don't know what you're doing. Here's something that I can help you understand. You know, he does it in love. They had an altar actually to an unknown God. So they had so many different gods that they ran out of what to call them that they actually made an altar to a God called the unknown God. And Paul goes, Well, I'll start there. Uh, The unknown God, that's the one I'm writing about, uh, preaching about, because everybody else, uh, they're definitely not the gods you know. Uh, The God of the Bible is not the gods you know here. So let's just start with the one you don't know. uh, That's the one you need to worship. And so that was very clever of him, wasn't it? Uh, But there's an evidence of doing that. And then we see Apollos, uh, one of Paul's disciples in Acts 18 and Verse 27, "'For he, Apollos, vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah.'" Isn't that awesome? He was vigorous. He refuted them. He was in public debate. He was proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah.'" Go and do likewise, saints. Go and do likewise. And we'll do the same thing here in this podcast. Uh, Jude, And I'll get to Jude 3 here later on. So I'll read. It's just, just basically content for the faith. But I'll get to that in my, uh, my nuggies later on. And then you can look through these rest of the references where the actual letters of the Bible, which many of you probably read them but didn't you know, connect it this way, are actually apologetic. Uh, Meaning Paul is confronting false beliefs, sometimes even naming the names of the people who are doing it, and at times getting quite sassy with them. So in gentleness and respect, those lines can get, uh, I don't want to say blurred, but Paul certainly pushed them. In one place in the book of Galatians, he said, uh, you're my fruit of discipleship. I was one that preached to you in Galatia. You came to know Jesus. It was like I made a picture of Jesus, and I drew it out perfectly, and you understood who he was. That's literally what he says. He says, you guys could see Jesus. You understood who he was. Now I leave. It's like you're bewitched. He said they were bewitched, not like the show, but you're bewitched. And then he goes on to say, these guys are lying to you. They're false teachers. Let them be accursed. Let them be anathema, eternally damned. He says some of the harshest words there, but of course, I believe in gentleness and respect. And then later on, he says, one of uh, one of these groups wants you to be circumcised, to become Jewish, to become Christian. So they're Gentile pagans, and now they're coming to Christ and the Jews are going, hey, hey, no, they need to become Jews first and keep all of these laws. And he actually says to them, Hey, if they want to circumcise you, why don't they just go and emasculate themselves? And if you don't know what that word means, you better go look it up with that dictionary. But that's in the Bible. That's there. So we know that it can be intense, and illustrations and word pictures can be used. Jesus called the Jews snakes and vipers, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. He said that they would go across the world to make one convert, but that convert would become twice the son of the devil that they were out, but it led to truth, right? Sometimes the mind will be offended, not intentionally, not disrespectfully, but the mind will be offended so the heart can be open. Well, let's look at some of these debates that I've done in the church. Well, ran into some Mormon missionaries, and I asked them if they would come. They said yes, and I turned on the camera and recorded all the that I could, but then they told me they didn't want their part up there. So all you have here is me and my part. But there was uh, started off with two, but eventually they brought up their friends from the audience, and there was four missionaries, four Mormon missionaries versus one Christian. Still wasn't fair, and I say that in humility. Still wasn't fair. They needed a lot more. It was it wasn't it wasn't a good thing for them, but it was in the sense of gospel good. They heard the truth. And I would do it over and over and over again. But the thing is, these cults, they're wanting to knock on your doors if you don't know anything about them. But they don't want to knock on our doors. And so we need to meet them where they're at. I talked to two Jehovah Witnesses in front of my house the other day for basically an hour. And then afterwards, they, they make sure they're not coming to your house anymore. Literally, they'll blacklist you. and They'll avoid you when they see you coming down the street. So if you have these people in your life, do it through friendship and try to keep them around as long as you can. But most of the time, they don't want to hang around very long. I did a debate with a Muslim. Uh, We had gone to the Islamic uh, conference out there in Rosemont and uh, met some people, and one thing led to another, okay, let's debate. I also wrote a book on Islam and tried to get some of the imams to come. They didn't want to do that. Uh, my number one watched video on YouTube, if you go to my YouTube channel, just, you know, type in Joe I Rostic, you'll see my YouTube channel, is a debate that I hosted with an Islamic expert on jihad, uh, Robert Spencer, New York Times bestseller, and he debated this man as well. So uh, Islam is the second largest faith in the world today, over a billion people, and we should be able to welcome them, and this This man I took out, by the way, I paid for his hotel because he didn't live in Chicago, paid for his hotel, took him out to dinner and treated him well. We should be able to do this because we love people and we shouldn't be afraid to do it. Now, listen, before you just say, well, pastor, I got another one. I got another one. My schedule doesn't allow me to do debates all the time. Right. So now as Christians, we need to multiply, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And if there's a command to do apologetics, then that means there's a command for you to do it. So you be the apologist to your neighbor, to your friends, to your coworkers. Uh, here's another debate that I did with the Institute of Divine Metaphysical Research, other words known as IDMR, that's quite a name, Institute of divine metaphysical research and the idea here is they have a chart by a prophet supposedly and of course this prophet died just like all the other ones Jesus is still in heaven so I'll trust him but uh, they say they use the bible to prove this chart and all of these weird teachings and most people don't even know about them so I don't have time to get into it but how did I meet these guys at the Bodequa Fest. And as I do, whenever I meet cults, I say, well, let's get this out in the open. Let's let everybody hear what you have to say. Equal time. And as I did with the Muslim, we'll buy you lunch, dinner if you're not in the area. Now I'll say, uh, most of these guys, I'll give you $50 for coming and uh, let us have equal time and share our opinions or what we believe to be true. Of course, I think they have opinions and we have truth. And uh, you can listen to that one for yourself. I did that with Sam Shimon. Uh, Wonderful apologist, one of the best here in Chicago on Islam, and he's just all around uh, amazing guy. If you don't have him on Facebook, like him, he's always doing uh, videos like this, uh, podcasts, and different things where you can uh, get a lot of info. And then uh, I debated a he, uh, an Israelite Christian. He told me not to call not to call him the Black Hebrews. Uh, he wasn't with that group anymore, but uh, it, very similar to what you have seen, especially if you're in the major cities like we are here in Chicago. You see the uh, the the. Um, The guy's in the full wardrobes. Uh, You think maybe they're Muslims at first, but they're not. They literally think they are Jewish people. They think they're Israelites, but they're really just dudes from the hood. Sadly, their genealogy just goes back through African slavery. Not at all thinking that that is bad in the sense of your genealogy. Of course, slavery is bad, but uh, for some reason, they, they have an identity crisis, and now they're Jews. And it is not true. Though there are Jews that are black and have African heritage, there are actually Ethiopian Jews. Still in Ethiopia today, and Moses married an Ethiopian. And uh, you see in the Bible that Philip witnessed to an Ethiopian, and all of these uh, intercultural relationships. We were in Egypt for quite some time, and Egypt had a lot of African slaves even back then, by the way. So people have been enslaving each other for a while white people enslaving white people, and white slaving black and black enslaving white, and you know, all of that mess of history. And so there's been interminglement through the Middle Eastern genealogy of the Jewish people. And so we, you know, Jesus may have been an African. Uh, African-American by by culture, as we would say, one race to human race. But the way they go about trying to make their cause, they have no genealogy. Their blood tests do not prove this. Their DNA tests do not prove this. But yet they make these claims, and then on top of that, they teach that you have to keep all of these extra laws of the laws of the Bible, and then they just get really weird. Some of them believe they become gods when they die. Uh, Others of them believe in polygamy. Others of them believe in a literal raping and pillaging of the white person, like this real reverse slavery. They really believe this. And you can see some of them on Facebook and they can get really nasty and they actually have pictures of what they're going to do when they're in charge. And they've actually been uh, a lot of these groups have been uh, noted by the FBI as hate groups and in Chicago there was a group that was identifying with this that was trying to do the terrorist attack of Sears Tower. So if you want to learn about the uh, the foil plot, I don't think they were from Chicago. I think they were from Miami and planning to do a bombing here in Chicago. You can check that out. That was a black identity cult. And so we stand with our African-American brothers and sisters on this and just say it's foolishness because uh, that's not true. I know I spent a lot of time on that. Uh, and then I even debated another Christian on women in the ministry because uh, this great guy, I love him, Matt Slick, has a great, apologist uh he's a great apologist with a with a, with with a great apologetic website karm.org and for some reason he just got his his uh, pants in a bunch and wanted to take on anybody who believed that women could be in ministry and so i got one of his uh, form letters from some guy in chicago and said this guy's looking to debate pastors that want to ordain women and i said well i'll be your huckleberry and uh, went on and got it on. And it was a debate between Christians, so we respected on each other. I mean, we do this all the time with even the Muslim, but it was with brothers in-house. Uh, we know that each other of us love Jesus. So uh, when you think about what's going on around the world, is apologetics important? Yes. I mean, those are just some of the ones that I've run into. I've run into so many more. There was once a time just here in our, our community, uh, some Latinos were going around teaching something similar to the Hebrew Israelites, believing that they were the lost tribes, and uh, they actually, excuse me, were putting their information into our church mailbox, and I was like, what? What are you guys doing? And I got them on the phone, and I basically said, I need you guys to come here right now. I want you to uh, bring this to me, and I uh, made the room in the altar, the, the area that I have there, and I brought out tables and we began to discuss with them, and before you knew it, they were complaining that it was unfair. And I knew too much, and I said, "Well, go get the other guy who knows more." <laughs> um, and uh, sometimes you may not be that well qualified. I've been rocked. I don't want to make it sound like I don't get rocked too, guys. I do, but uh, it's 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 like my wife when she worked at a bank. When you learn the original dollar bill, it is so easy to spot a counterfeit. Now I know these days they may be getting better at it, but. Uh, I still think the Bible ways is, is 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 true that it's easy to spot a lie when you know the Bible. There's no way around that. I know that sometimes we can be intimidated by these other groups and uh, we ought not to be because truth is on our side. Once you know, two plus two is four. You'll never believe it's five. Um I'm looking at the chats right here. No questions yet, but good to see Edwin and Brandon and uh, Jesus joining with us. Blessings, blessings. Okay, so now let me get into the news. That was what was going around the MPI. I've already talked about about us, apologetics. By the way, we're your relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, and apologetics, uh, evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. You can find us online. I updated our website, what do you believe, TV.com, Keeps it all together because now we're doing a 301 a podcast on presuppositional Apologetics on Tuesday. You can get it all there. Uh, the Facebook page obviously is the easiest way to do it if that's that that's your thing. But some people I talk to they say I don't want to be on Facebook. So find us at whatdoyoubelievetv.com or just look us up on Facebook. What do you believe? And then two great ways to stay in touch with us is the app under our church's name or iTunes under the church name. So Metro Praise International. You can get our app. Have it all right there. Bypass the middleman. Or if you're already on iTunes subscribing to podcasts, you can do it there and it literally releases within a half hour when I get done, Uh, even with our uh, 301 classes there on the podcast and app as well. Well, uh, last week we jumped on the Eugene Peterson uh, situation about this man uh, affirming same-sex marriage. Well, guess what happened? After everybody said what they had to say, he now retracts it and says that he does not support same-sex marriage. Okay, good job. Amen. We are happy that you have retracted that. What have we learned from this debacle? Well, what people are trying to say now is that Christian apologists like us are to blame. We actually blew it up out of proportion. We should never have made mention of it. Well, I wonder if it's actually the opposite. If it was people like us who brought it to the church body at large's attention, were we a part of him knowing that this wasn't going to fly? Now, either way, if he's following men, whether the men he's afraid of uh, letting down in the evangelical church or trying to please the homosexual, same-sex marriage, LGBT community, either way, he's being led by the fear of man. And I'm going to keep talking about apologetics in the church and those things around the world. So I have no apology. When the man did the article, it wasn't the day of it was published, he had probably a few weeks after it was published, and, it, and I know there was time that passed by, they said it wasn't published the same day of the interview. and he said, yes, I would do a same-sex marriage. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to answer that. am I not? Am I not supposed to be an apologist and say, Friends, a guy who is known for translating the Bible has changed his opinion. Beware of this false belief. And as apologists, have we not seen so many people say yes to same-sex marriage and these hot topic issues, and not retract. So what were we supposed to do? Wait 30 days to see if it doesn't retract? The very fact that the man let the interview go out and so succinctly said he would do it, not only that, but also saying that he supported the the ministry of people in active homosexuality. Now, do we believe that uh, people who have same-sex attraction can't be in the church? No, because we all get tempted. But it's those who live in continual sin, the Bible says in Galatians 5, that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. and So if you want to come to our church and confess your sin and let the Lord sanctify you and change you and renew your mind, amen, let's do it. But if you're going to be proud of your sin, I don't care if you're proud to be a liar, proud to be a pervert, proud to be an adulterer, whatever you are proud of that the Bible calls a sin, We can't fellowship with you. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're supposed to disfellowship you. And if a pastor says, I support a false belief of the church, I have to say, according to the scripture that we learned in Jude last week, that you are a promoter of immorality. You are promoting immorality. You're saying immorality is okay with me. Now, we may differ in the church on different things. We call these the non-essentials. We may disagree on uh, how a pastor should dress or what song should we sing in the church service or how many elders should we have, deacons and so forth or so on. Should it be a congregational-led voting congregation that votes in their pastor every two years, deciding if they want to keep them or get a new one, or should it be an elder-led congregation and more of a a way of leading from the top or leading from the bottom? My friends, those things are non-essential, but this man crossed the line into an essential thing. Sexuality It's pretty big and he should have known better. So I hope and pray that he takes the rebuke and honestly means it. I hope he's not doing this out of his own own uh, selfish desires to please the larger body that he would do business with. The evangelical movement is bigger than the LGBT, the LGBT movement, and so I hope he's not doing this based on shekels or book sales. I can't judge his heart. I don't know. i just glad that he took the rebuke, and I pray he walks in the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man. Otherwise, we'll hear him denying this or uh, affirming same-sex uh, marriage and denying his denial. And so God have mercy on him as we pray for mercy on all of us to stay true in these last days. The Bible says because of the, the increase of sin and wickedness, the love of many, many will grow cold. Now, can I show you a video, a video that I think kind of summarizes what's going on in our culture today? We have a problem with cowardice in the pulpit. The reason why uh, guys like me have to jump on these things is because no one else seems to be doing it. I shouldn't say no one else. It seems like the minority of people are doing it. So if we only have 4% of Christians with a Christian worldview in the church, that means 96% are out to lunch. How many pastors are out to lunch? How many theologians are out to lunch? And so what I did is I put this together for a sermon series, when I, and you can find it on our, our webpage, mpichurch.org and go to sermons, and I discussed all these hot topics. I said, I'm going to let you know where I stand as a pastor, on abortion, on the Jewish laws, uh, you know, why it's okay to eat pork now and have tattoos and so forth. I'm going to talk about alcohol. I'm going to talk about pornography, immigration, drugs and addictions, tattoos, piercings, music, TV, movies, homosexuality, Israel, eternal punishment, right? I'm going to talk about all of it. And then what I began to show, uh, what I began to realize is as I was talking about all this, is there were so many pastors that were afraid to talk about it. And guess what? They were actually the ones on the news shows. And I'm thinking to myself, as you're going to see here, like they're on Larry King Live, they're on Katie Couric. And I'm like, why are they not calling us up? The people who actually have to live by the scriptures and do the thing? Why do you call up these wishy-washy people? Now, remember, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you, because that's how they spoke about the false prophets. But rejoice when they don't like you, because that's what they did to me too, right? And so we ought not to think it's strange that the world gets along with these guys, because, yeah, they're, quite, they're kind of wishy-washy, and I can't judge their heart. I can only judge their fruit, and the Bible says fruit is your words and your deeds. So I don't know what's going on inside here, but if things come out here, Or you do things out here we can take a look at. The Bible says, don't believe every spirit. Be a discerning person that checks the fruit of the tree. Jesus said false prophets will come, even as wolves in sheep clothing. You'll know them by their fruits. Now, are these people going to hell, these two men I'm going to show here, are they literally a false prophet? Probably not. The false prophets of the Bible are people who teach damnable lies, things that could actually lead you to hell. But would I say they're good to follow? No. I would say you can do better. There's a lot of options on Facebook, a lot of people to watch on TV or wherever you're getting your Bible uh, preachers from. And so watch this video. Tell me what you think. Oh, thank you, Brandon. Appreciate somebody. I know you're probably driving there. Somebody just told me we didn't get it. Let me do it one more time. Uh, I forgot to set up the computer sound. Sorry about that, guys. Here it comes the right way about sort of the tolerance issue that I was talking to Joel about. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you guys have positions on, say, gay marriage and things like that? We have a stance on love and everything else we have conversations. So what does that mean? Exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> um, often people want you to make these big statements. Yeah, about things and I don't believe is fair. I don't think a public forum is always the best place to talk about something that's so Sensitive and important to so many because a public forum, there's no discussion there, and everybody's situation is unique. So I've been with some people who will like, you know, make a statement about this, and I'll say, "Why? I'd rather have a conversation with that person because if I make a statement publicly, um, there's no discussion, there's no explanation, there's just this comment." And um, we want well, just to ch- play devil's advocate, I mean, do you feel like it's hard for good? you because you're so sweet? <laughs> but but do you feel like you know there you have a moral imperative to? to speak publicly about some of these more controversial issues? No, because we try to be like Jesus. Very rarely did Jesus ever talk about morality or social issues. He's Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joel, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with him. I believe that, so that that's what you are she... not doing No, I, I... agree Well, here's my thing, Larry is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches. And I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going. Because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm you not going to be believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But someone who doesn't share it, it's wrong. It? Yeah. I mean, well... I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just gonna let God be the judge of that. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone. No, but I'm not atheists. No, I just, you know what? I let, I let someone. Let, I'm gonna let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. Amen. Amen. Well, let's let's let God be the judge of who goes to heaven or hell, and let's read what His judgment is. Shall we? Shall we read what the judgment of God is towards these issues? Right. So let's not even take my opinion. Forget what Joe says. Okay. Who cares what I think? Let's go to the Bible. I mean, everybody want to go to the Bible? Okay. So Romans chapter one. Let's answer what Carl Lentz did not answer. What do you think about homosexuality? That's what Katie Currit answered. Asked him. And she was really disappointed that he wouldn't even answer. It's like, dude, that's not even being good to the LGBT community that you even have in your church. I mean, at least tell somebody what you believe it's not good to anybody. That's why the person who's a traitor is hated by both sides. Now, of course, we don't hate anybody, but I think you get my point with that. I mean, the Bible says the lukewarm God's going to spit out of his mouth in Revelation 3.16. So it's like, you're not making anybody happy this way, and certainly you're not winning any favor with God. This is disobedience. Okay, so Romans 1.28. Why doesn't he uh, just read this to them, uh, starting in verse 26, and let them hear what the Bible says. Okay, not me. It's not Joe's opinion. This is what God said. Because of this, all the prior things they have done, disobey God, don't listen to God, God gave them over to shameful lust. Now, what is a shameful lust according to the Bible? What's a shameful lust? Even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their heir. This may be even a part of the sexually transmitted diseases that were going on at that time, especially among the, the homosexual community. And my friend, that's even here today. And I'm not saying AIDS was sent by God as a punishment. I'm just saying when you do sex the way the gay community, specifically among the men, have done in this culture, many of them having over 100 sex partners, still to this day, listen, the Red Cross can't even take the homosexual men in blood transfusion. Still to this day, they will not allow them to give blood because of the immense amount of STDs and sickness among them. Now, I don't know what they were receiving at that time, but that's probably our best guess, is some kind of a literal sore or sickness on their body that prevented them from living a normal life because they were using what was meant as God's disposal system as the exit, as an entrance. But the Bible says the women did the same exact thing. Now, we don't have to go into the Old Testament and explain why now we can wear clothes with two different kinds of cloth, why now we can eat pork. All we have to do, if we want to make it real simple for a Katie Couric is say, in the new covenant, the moral code still remains. Dietary code has changed. Priesthood code has changed. Sacrificial code has changed. But one thing that has always remained the same is a lie is a lie. Uh, Stealing is stealing. Come on. Disobeying your parents is still disobeying your parents. And here's a moral one. Sex was only made between one man and one woman and monogamy. Heterosexual monogamy and marriage. That's it. And he says Jesus didn't go around talking about morality. Have you read your Bible, sir? That thing that you're holding when you go up there and you talk to people every week. And he's a pastor of a church where one of the main Hillsong leaders go to, these these musicians who sing great songs. And we love a lot of the Hillsong's music. But my friend, read your Bible. All Jesus talked about was morality. That was his whole message: was be born again and live like this. This is how I want you to live. You know, the most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five, six, and seven. And it starts off with, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God." And it goes on: "Blessed are the merciful, blessed are you know." And then it just says, you know, uh, you've heard it said, "Hate your enemy or love your uh, neighbor, but hate your enemy." But now I say, uh, "Love your enemy, pray for." Them. I mean, the whole thing is morality. And And sometimes people say, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Well, that's because he didn't have to name it when he said this, God gave Adam, Eve, two shall be one. That's what marriage was. So that means Jesus didn't have to talk about child molesting either. That means Jesus did not have to talk about bestiality. It's called the argument of silence, and it actually works against their position. The reason why Jesus didn't go around talking about those things is because you can say it all this way. You want to have sex? You're a sexual created being in God's image? Here you go. If you're a man, find a woman, get married. You're a woman, find a man, get married. Everything else is illegal in the kingdom, called a sin outside of God's blessing. Now, we go to Joel Oste, pastoring the largest church in America. Thankfully... It's not the largest church in the world. Uh, we have much, much, much bigger churches around the world in places like Korea and Brazil and so forth that truly uh, love God and love people. But he's our largest pastor in the uh, church in America, and he said, "I don't even want to talk about heaven or hell. I don't even have anything to say on that, uh, my friend." Well, let's just read what the Bible says. Why don't you just tell him what the Bible says? It's not my opinion. It's what God said. Revelation twenty. Uh, verse 12 and onward. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, judgment day, and books were open. One book was the book of life, the dead were judged according to things that, uh, excuse me, another another book was open, which is the book of life, and then the judge, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the other books. So there's one book of life, and then multiple books that the people are judged on, because if you're not uh, saved, by Jesus' blood through great by grace through faith, then your every single deeds will be brought up. And that's why there's plural books. But in the singular book, it's just you believed, you trusted in Christ. Boom, book of life. So now let's see what happens to the people who don't have their name book in the book of life. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone's name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And the Bible also says that in another place here in in Revelation, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, and I'm going to get you the reference here, have their place in the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8, continuing on down, just so you can be even more specific, but the cowardly. So those who deny Christ because it doesn't go along with their friends or what people around them in their culture are doing, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile. And like, you know, you had here, uh, um, what was his name? The guy of the show here, he's asking, I mean, what about atheists? I mean, do you say anything? You guys like, well, I'm just gonna let God do it. Well, let's read what God already said he's going to do. We already have a picture of what the future is going to be like. It is his obligation to tell this man what the Bible's already said. Why do you think we have it? Why do you think we have the book of Revelation if it's not to tell people what's gonna happen in Revelation? What's gonna happen in the end? The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, come on, will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the final death. Larry King is his name. You, You owe Larry King the answer. Okay, So this is your relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. Today's an apologetic day. We talked about what apologetics is from 1 Peter 3.15. It's giving an answer for the reason of the hope that we have within us. And we do it in gentleness and respect. And, yes, that means we debate sometimes. And it's going to be confrontation. And sometimes you got to tell people they're wrong. And I've showed you by example that I'm willing to put myself out there. And then we got to stop being cowards like these people we're seeing in the pulpit. We need to be honest with the truth. Tell people what we actually believe and do it, yes, with compassion. We don't want you to go to hell. Larry, I don't want you to go to hell. Or or Katie Couric, I don't want the LGBT community to go to hell. I'm not the guy holding up signs saying God hates homosexuals. I'm not that guy. God so loved the world that he died for homosexuals. My sin is no worse than theirs, but they've got to put their sin on the same cross, though. They can't be proud of it. They can't, can't try to get around it and say, this is for me, this is acceptable. No, it's not, because sometimes I feel like having sex with someone other than my wife, and that's called lust, and even though it comes natural, it's not how I was meant to live. i got to repent of it. I don't walk around cheating on my wife going, well, this is just what feels right. I say, that's a wicked thought from my flesh. I shouldn't give into it. Lord, forgive me, and is he faithful to forgive us? Yes, he is, and he'll be faithful to forgive them. Let me go to Joe's Gems here as we get ready to close out with some of your questions. If you've got any questions, put them up now, please. Let me give you five ways to do spirit-led apologetics. Spirit-led apologetics based out of the Scripture, uh, uh, 2 Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, tells us what we need to do as my timer's blowing up. I am a little bit behind today, but I can get through this by God's grace. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is God-breathed from the Holy Spirit and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, what should we do? In view as His appearing in the kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Doesn't that sound like what's going on today? They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's a myth to believe in a different God other than the God of the Bible. It's a myth to think that you can do whatever you want and be okay on judgment day. That is a myth. We are obligated to tell people the truth. Here's five ways to do it as a spirit-led evangelist. Here's five ways to do it. Number 1, know who God is. Number 2, know who know what his word is. Number 3, know the power of God within you by the Holy Spirit. Number 4, know who you are with the Holy Spirit. And then number five, know who you are not. And so let me just say these quickly. Number one, you got to know God, have a personal relationship with him. You got to study his word, as the Bible says, be endued with power. According to Acts chapter one, verse eight, the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses unto all the earth. Okay, and so we need that Pentecostal power and then know who you are like Know that by God's strength, you can take on intimidating situations, even if people seem to know more than you or have more knowledge than you. Don't be afraid to stand on the word of God. But then number five, know who you're not. You're not people's savior. You're not going to debate people into the kingdom of God. There's no way that you can force people to become Christians. You're not the Holy Spirit. As the Bible says, sow the seed of the word of God and let God take care of the rest. And then on judgment day, your hands will be clean. That's a biblical illustration that our hands either will be clean from the blood of men's souls when they go to hell, or our our hands will be stained with their blood. And the Bible talks about this with the Old Testament prophets and even with Paul. He said, my hands are clean, Paul said, from the the blood of all men's souls. Why? Because I proclaimed to you the gospel. I told you the truth. So know God, know his word, know his power, know who you are, and know who you are not. And then lastly here, before I get to questions, and I don't see any coming up right now, let me just give you a word from the word, something to encourage you to do while you're doing apologetics, because the gospel needs to come through your apologetics. We're not trying to win an argument to win a soul. I can't make somebody come into the kingdom of God, because if I could make them come in, somebody else can make them come out. But this is what we want to do. Dear friends, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Only one chapter in Jude. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. I want to encourage you to contend for the faith. And that means fight, but not in the way with weapons. We're not talking about uh, taking up arms, having some type of Christian jihad, or being rude and disrespectful. That's already been proven wrong by Peter, who said, do it in respect and gentleness. And even Jesus ourself uh, was rejected and despised like a lamb led to slaughter and did not fight back, right? He told Peter to put away his sword and he healed the man's ear he had cut off. The Bible commands us to love our enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. Okay, but But when we go and do apologetics, we will have to contend. We will have to stand on the faith. And what you have to remember is they're not rejecting you They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the God of the Bible. And so you don't have to have all the answers, but if you can just give people the simple gospel, the simple faith, John 3.16. That's why we put it on all of our shirts. And uh, if you can share it with people, it can be very effective. Just for an example, making this personal, November fifth, nineteen 1995, I called up my mother. I wanted to be in a mental hospital. I was doing drugs. I just didn't feel right about life, you know. and, and she said, I will pray with you. And that made me really upset. And I wanted to curse her out. But then I said, I have nothing to lose. And I ended up coming home. And around the kitchen table, she started to talk to me about God. And I was arguing with her. And I said, what about this belief? What about this religion? And I love what my mom said because she knew who she wasn't, right? She wasn't a Bible college scholar. She didn't have all the answers. And God used her anyway because she was faithful to contend for the faith. She wasn't believing my lies. And she wasn't being rude or disrespectful. She just simply said, Joe, I don't know about any of that, but I know they can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And Jesus will save you right now if you pray to him. Now, I am thankful that there are resources you can get. You can go to Got Questions website. You can go to CARM's website. You can search resources on our website. You can join our Tuesday Apologetics class that we're actually doing right now. You can stay tuned in to this podcast every Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, you can subscribe to other great apologetic webcasts, like uh, Dr. William Lane Craig and Leighton Flowers and uh, Ravi Zacharias. There's so many out there. If you need any resources, uh, let us know in this chat, and we'll let you. We'll put in, uh respond to your comment. But no matter what, contend for the faith. Contend for that faith. And so, in closing today, I want to encourage everyone to know God and grow closer to God. And in your walk with God, study his word and do it not just to prove others wrong or to learn an argument. Do it because the Bible says that it's a sword that even cuts away your flesh. It takes away the wrong thoughts inside of your own mind. It renews you. It builds your life. It's a foundation. It's a light unto your path. And be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come on you as it did on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let the Lord use you in supernatural ways, even in the midst of apologetics. Like think about Jesus. He could have argued with the woman at the well all day long, but he just started telling her her business. Now he also corrected her false view of the temple and what God required for worshipers. So he did that as well as share with her the apologetic truth. So I like to say spirit and truth, as Jesus came full of spirit and truth. And so do likewise, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and be like the disciples who weren't afraid to go to the Greek pagan temples and to say, I'll tell you who my God is. I'm not ashamed, but I'll do it in love, and then I'll pray for the sick, and then we'll cast out the demons who are afflicting people out here, and maybe someone in your family. We'll go get them. We'll pray for them. And as you're going to do that, you're going to know who you are in Christ. You're a disciple. You are saved. You don't have to be afraid of any lie. You can go out and be a disciple that makes disciples know who you are. Believe who God said you are and then know who you're not, and just stand on the word and say, I'm going to contend for the faith, and if someone doesn't get saved, that's not up to me. They rejected Jesus. They may reject me, but I'm going to keep coming out here, you know, witnessing with the church or going out to my neighbors. Uh, My son, let me tell you this because I don't see any questions here, and please feel free to ask them throughout the week as well. We'll uh, get to them on the next show. My son came up to me the other day, and he said, Joe, uh, Daddy, he said, Daddy, when we go to the park today, can can you help me preach to some of the people? That's what he said. You know why? Because he knows my oldest uh, two daughters went with us to Boricua Fest to preach. We're going to be going to Ohio Park, the, the neighborhood we adopted to go preach. And he's just been hearing it. And he's five years old now, and he said, "When I go to the park, will you help me?" And we saw these two. Uh, there wasn't kids there. And I think that's what he meant. He wanted to do. But when we got to the park, there was just these older guys playing basketball. And he said, "Daddy." I think they're too big. I'm I'm scared to go talk to them. And I said, well, I'll be ready when you're not scared, but I'll go with you. And he said, well, not right now. Maybe next time. And I said, okay. And so you know what? We don't need to be scared. Daddy's with us. Our father's with us. And God's just waiting for us to have enough trust and faith in him to do the impossible through us. Okay? So this is what I believe. I want to know what do you believe. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.